I looked at my calendar this morning, and it's July 29th today. I haven't been in front of you to preach since June 3rd. And I was wondering why I felt so excited to see you all. <laughs> it makes more sense now. I was supposed to be preaching on July 1st, which was the Sunday that we had to cancel our services. So I talked to you into my phone, which some of you might have heard on our podcast that night. It's not the same. Probably not for you either, right? A few weeks ago, as our board of trustees here at Wellsprings was in the middle of drafting one of those updates that we put into our Wednesday weekly email to you all, I noticed when they sent it to me that they hadn't included a sign-off at the end. So I sent them some suggestions. Hey guys, you forgot to sign off. What do you want it to say? May you live in blessing, comma, Board of Trustees, with gratitude and care for our community, comma, Board of Trustees. Holy crap, y'all, comma, <laughs> Board of Trustees. They went with the second one. <laughs> but one of our board members, at least, replied and said, thank you. It was good to laugh. I know that I have felt that sense of holy crap, y'all. I have been overwhelmed in moments over the past month. And in those moments, it has really helped me to remember everything we just sang about. It has really helped me to remember that the world is not just this one small, strange, sad issue that we're facing right now as a community. Even though that feels so heavy on my shoulders at times, the world is so much bigger. There is also joy and hope and new things happening and being made every single day. Bill and Susan brought their four-week-old grandchild today. Kevin and Virginia, back on July 8th, brought Mia, their first grandchild. Yeah, they have a grandchild. Go talk to them. It's a story. <laughs> True fact. And so, along with all these new things, there are always the private changes and transitions in our own lives. The losses, the things we're preparing for at this time of year to start up again in September, the moves, the new jobs. And so I want to thank you all, because just by being and just by living, you each have been part of my reminder of all the things that are in our lives these days. How much there always is in this world, a time for everything under the sun. And I'm very grateful for the grace in the fact that this great wave of our experiences, of all that there is, of course it can feel overwhelming, some days, and it's also the source of all life and energy and power. And when I accept the waves as they pass by, I can sometimes remember that I was born with the ability to float and to ride them, and maybe even in that to rest. I picked the film that we're going to talk about today for our Spirit Flicks message because it actually believe it or not, I think speaks to a little bit of that same spirit of grace and to the good 
Very good healing, sometimes hard work involved in staying steady and staying true to who we are amidst all the pressures that are around us. How many of you saw this movie, Ferdinand, that came out just before Christmas? The animated film that there's a, there we go. How many of you saw it? Parents, hello, good to see you. Trudy, grandparent, yep. It was a blockbuster Hollywood version of a very old story. Given the full Hollywood treatment, right, one of those pre-Christmas family animated releases, all-star vocal cast, they added a bunch of characters to the story. He's got like some hedgehog friends apparently in this version. Hedgehogs are very trendy right now, so I see why they did that. And to create a plot that could really carry a film for 90 minutes, they actually added a whole bunch of details in and really focused on his escape caper, on Ferdinand trying to escape from the matadors, the bullfighting people who took him from his farm and brought him to the city. And now all that is fine, of course, but to tell you the truth, when I saw that that was the focus of this movie, it only made me long for the original story, for the book. How many of you read the book that this movie is based on? That doesn't surprise me. Lois isn't here today, Kathleen's mother, who's 92, 93. So I can be pretty sure that everyone in this room was born when this book was published in 1936. It has been in print for 82 years, never once going out of circulation. The original book that this movie was based on is short. It's grounded in a simpler story. It introduces us to a young bull named Ferdinand growing up on a farm. He's surrounded by a bunch of other young bulls who like to do typical bull things. They snort, they run, they roughhouse, they paw at the ground, they love to play pretend and dream of being called off to fight the matadors in the bullring in Madrid. Ferdinand? Not so much. The best day that Ferdinand can imagine is one where he wakes up in the morning, he nibbles on some grass in the pasture, and then he heads over to his favorite cork tree all the way up on a hill and sits quietly under its shade all day smelling the flowers. That's it. That's a good day for Ferdinand. His mother, when he's young, notices this. And she goes to him. She asks him, Ferdinand, why don't you run and play with the other little bulls and skip and butt your head, she would say. But Ferdinand would shake his head. I like it better here, where I can just sit quietly and smell the flowers. This book does something I think kind of remarkable for its time because it actually says, it explains that his mother was just worried. She was worried that he wouldn't have any friends, that he was lonely. But it says when she saw that he was not lonesome, that he was happy, she let him be. And he lived like that for most of his bull childhood until one day a team of men came in from the city to the farm. They were looking for the next fierce, big, strong bull who could come and fight the matadors in the bullring in Madrid. All of the other little bulls on the farm were doing 
way too much, right? They were running around, they were butting heads with each other, they were pawing at the ground, snorting. Ferdinand, I picture him in this moment a little bit like Eeyore, right? <sighs> Turning around and saying, I'll just go up to the hill. And as he plodded and made his way up to that hill, to his favorite spot under the cork tree, he went to sit down. And just at that moment, those of you who read the book, <gasps> what happened? A bee stung Ferdinand in the butt. <laughs> and he leapt up, roaring, pawing at the ground, snorting, fiercely hurt. And all of those men looked up at that giant bull on the hill, and they said, there's our fighter. They couldn't have been more wrong about Ferdinand. But they didn't know that. So they took him into the city, and he was put into the ring the next day in Madrid to fight the matador. The matador was scared of him. All the people in the crowd saw how huge he was, how big and how fierce they thought he was. But Ferdinand wanted no part of it. He walked into the ring, he looked around, and all of a sudden he noticed something. The smell of flowers. All the women in the crowd had flowers in their hair and in their hats. And he noticed how delightful they smelled. So he decided to sit down, like he always did, and smell. This perturbed the bullfighter. In fact, more than perturbed. They tried with everything they knew how to do to get him to fight. And he would not. The story says, the banderilleros, I can't say that, the banderilleros were mad, and the picadores were madder, and the matador was so mad, he cried because he couldn't show off with his cape and his sword. So they had to take Ferdinand home. And home was where he went to sit back under his favorite cork tree, smelling the flowers. And the last line of the book lets us know that he is very happy. The end. I see why they had to add some stuff to make an hour and a half long movie, right? <laughs> but what a beautiful, simple, open story. Who knows what that means exactly, right? Ferdinand is the hero of his story. But the fight that he wins, he wins it in a way that most heroes don't. He doesn't try to destroy or vanquish an enemy. He doesn't make an enemy out of any other character in the book. He doesn't try to change anyone or dominate or control what anyone else does. His power as a hero comes from his security in who he is. He knows what he cares about. He knows what he will and what he won't do. And he sticks to it. It's kind of that simple. One of the reasons that this story has resonated for so long, one of the reasons it took off in the first place, is about what was happening in 1936 when this book was first published.
That was a time when there were a lot of arguments in the world about what each of us should or shouldn't do to protect the things that we care about. The book came out three years before the start of World War II. It came out two months after the start of the Spanish Civil War, which was one of many conflicts between people of extreme political views on either side, leftists, conservatives in Europe, that led up to that world war. In the late 1930s, Adolf Hitler actually ordered Ferdinand banned in Germany, and he had existing German translations of the book burned. A children's book. In the United States, in 1938, Ferdinand outsold Gone with the Wind to become the number one best-selling book in the country. This was a time when questions about war and peace, about fighting or sitting on the sidelines were everywhere. And people were reading this book as an allegory for the times, and they had all kinds of opinions about what Ferdinand's story meant, right, in that world, in a world where peace seemed like a fantasy. There were many realist commentators and reviewers at the time who really enjoyed pointing out that if Ferdinand had actually sat still and refused to fight in a bullring, they probably wouldn't have sent him back home. They probably would have taken him out back and shot him. As late as 1951, 15 years later, Ernest Hemingway, still thinking about this book, wrote a short story, a response called The Faithful Bull, about a bull who was like really hardcore, right? Answered the call, entered the ring, fought hard, and won. This book struck a nerve. Nobody knew what to make of a story about a gentle, peaceful bull in a difficult time. And it seemed to hit at the core of something that was a deep anxiety in that moment. The questions... Is peace even possible? Can we be true to ourselves in a threatening world? It's not that hard to put ourselves in those shoes with our world today, politically and globally, and even close to home. Is peace even possible? Can we be true to ourselves in a threatening world? The story of Ferdinand is simple. It gives us a simple answer. Yes. Yes. And it takes work. It takes intention. In the story of Ferdinand, our hero didn't just come across a peaceful solution in that bullring. He decided what he would and wouldn't do. He stayed steady. He trusted what he loved. He didn't give in. And that all took courage. He was willing to sit there and accept that the other people around him were really unhappy about his choice. And that took courage and work. And those benderieros, 
and the picarores and the matador who were so mad, so mad they cried. They could have turned their rage against that bull. And in the story, for some reason they made a choice not to. I hope that matador went and talked it out with his therapist. <laughs> seemed like a kind of intense reaction. They all made peace though somehow. They all made that choice to wrestle with their own disappointments. They made peace with the fact that mistakes had been made that put them all in the predicament they were in. And they chose not to seek retribution in the ways that were very available to them right there in the bullring. It was not an ideal situation for anybody. But they chose to make peace. It's interesting, I spoke with somebody recently, not a minister, but uh, another colleague in a helping or healing profession that I know, who noticed that we talk about making peace as much or even more than we talk about finding it. There's a lot of ways that making and peace go together. We give out awards for peacemakers. The UN forces are called peacekeepers, right? It's an active thing. When we reconcile with some person who's wronged us, we say that we made peace with them. When we integrate some difficult experience, some grief from our past into who we are today, we say that we made peace with what happened. It didn't just show up. It's an active thing. When we can be true to ourselves in a threatening world, when we can choose our actions believing that peace is possible, we help to make peace. Staying true to who we are and what we believe is one of our core values here at Wellsprings, living with integrity, right? But living with integrity is not something we only do because it's the right thing privately, because it feels good for ourselves, though it does. We do it because our actions actually help create the world we dream about. It takes some energy and some intention. But it's a good fight. It's not always easy. Any of us on any side of things can lose our sense of integrity, can be beaten down by how challenging it is sometimes just to stand there and remember that we do have the power to make choices. And we will have to pick our battles. And there's nothing wrong with that. Not a single one of us can take the whole world's problems onto our shoulders. I've tried. It doesn't work, y'all, okay? Trust me. But when our energy is waning and we tell ourselves, oh, what will it matter? What can I do? It's not going to change anything anyway. While it may not be easy, I hope we remember that maybe making peace is as simple as trusting ourselves, believing in our faith that we are beloved, and following the call of the things that we love, whether that's the smell of flowers or whether it is something greater. I heard a great story about how this might work just two weeks ago from this woman right here. Some of you might recognize her. 
if you watched a lot of HDTV five-ish years ago, maybe, or if you're familiar with the evangelical Christian author and speaker circuit, which some of us are, her name is Jen Hatmaker. Jen Hatmaker was, until about two years ago, a very well-known public figure in the evangelical Christian world in America. She was a self-described poster child for all of the things that community stood for and wanted to publicize. She co-pastored a church with her husband. They had an HGTV show where they integrated home renovation with Christian values like you do, right? <laughs> I don't know how many books she's written. I should have looked it up, but I think at least half a dozen books that she has in print. And she speaks and signs books and traveled all around the country promoting the set of values that she had devoted her whole life to. And about two years ago, she finally publicly said something that she had known was true in her heart for a long time. She said to her LGBTQ siblings in this world, there is nothing wrong with you, or in any case, there's nothing more right or wrong with you than there is with any of us. The retribution was very swift, and she knew that it would be because she had seen other public figures in that world do the same thing and have the same things happen. I heard Jen Hatmaker speak two weeks ago at a festival called Wild Goose, where progressive Christians and other folks of progressive spiritual backgrounds come together and talk about what it is like to be in this strange space in America of having progressive social values but deep commitments to their faith. That's where Jen Hatmaker feels like she lives right now. But Wild Goose was one of the only places that would invite her to speak these days. She says, in the days after I announced my perspective on this, Lifeway Publishers, the publisher of many of my books, called and told me that they were banning my books from their stores, that they would no longer print them or sell them. She says, it took about a week for every single organizer of every speaking engagement on my calendar to call and cancel. And she said, look, I don't want you to cry for me. I should have done this sooner. She acknowledged echoing another speaker who had spoken earlier that day and said, if she's honest with herself now, her long discernment about this issue was mostly cowardice and self-interest. But she says, these days, I have zero agenda for myself. I don't feel self-protective or defensive or scared or angry. Honestly, I'm neither trying to gain applause or start a war. Some people are throwing parades and some are burning books, but I am not motivated by either. Some are certain that I'm after the approval of people, but here's the truth. I don't love the approval of people. I love people. And this is the best way for me to do that. Jen Hatmaker knew what she cared about. She had decided to be clear about what she would and wouldn't do to stay true to herself in a threatening world. The most interesting thing about her talk was not actually what she said in her prepared remarks for me, it was the response she gave to a woman in the audience who asked her a question afterwards. A woman in the audience who was facing the same choice that Jen had been called to make, but who had a lot 
uh, different circumstances, a lot of different things that she stood to lose. Unclear whether they were bigger or smaller things. This woman was not worried about book deals or a speaking tour. She was worried about losing friends and family members who disagreed with her. She was worried about the potential to lose her church family, which had held her and loved her through births and deaths and illnesses and all the milestones of life all over this issue. And she raised her hand and told Jen her story, and she said, I feel like I've tried so many things to get these people I love to understand me, but they just won't budge. So how can I get them to see me? How can I get them to change their minds the way you did, or at least welcome me with my changed mind? Jen's answer was great. She said, the short answer is I don't know because we can't make anyone else change their minds, right? But they will never see you if you stop showing up. And they will never understand you if you stop speaking up. She said, I changed my mind about this issue because people kept showing up and speaking up in my life. I didn't have a dream one night. I didn't get hit by a lightning bolt one day. I changed my mind because I sat stone-faced, arms crossed, right, through a million conversations with people where they showed up and they spoke up. And I can't tell you how many times I sat there silent across the table from friends and they probably thought I wasn't hearing anything they were saying. And then I went home wrestling in my heart in prayer with new books to read and new authors and people to look up. They had no idea because I was keeping it all hidden. But please know how important your words are just by showing up as yourself. It was the Ferdinands of her world, the people who stayed steady and true to themselves, who resisted the urge to attack her or charge at her in the ring, but just trusted their stillness and spoke what they knew. They were the ones who made the difference. I don't know exactly how we make peace, but I think Ferdinand gives us one option. When we are unsteady or uncertain, let's look around and remember that the world is bigger than the thing that's right in front of us or the person we disagree with and that we are beloved. And resting in that perspective, may we remember that we can choose to fight the good fight in a way that creates peace. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Will you pray with me? God of our hearts and our minds, God of our bodies and our souls. Help us to remember that we're not separate from you or from each other. That each one of us is a part of a larger world in which we are beloved and so is everyone else. May we not beat ourselves up when that gets hard. May we remember that no one ever promised us this would be easy.
but that there is nothing that we can do to separate ourselves from that belovedness. The more we live in that place of trust, perhaps the better we'll be able to live in faithfulness to that truth. May we keep that on our hearts this day and this week. For these prayers I've spoken out loud and for the prayers each of these people carries on their hearts today, we say amen.